Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the award-winning Legal Toolkit podcast here on the Legal Talk Network. If you were looking for the new season of Stranger Things, don't spoil it for me yet. I haven't seen it. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. And if you're Donald Trump, you probably need to do a little bit more research on Revolutionary War history. As always, I'm your show host, Jared Korea. And in addition to casting this pod, I am the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting services for law firms, bar associations, and legal vendors. Check us out at redcavelegal.com. I'm also the COO of Gideon Software, Inc., which offers chatbots, a first-to-market chatbot builder, and predictive analytics created specifically for law firms. Find out more at www.gideon.legal. And because I don't have enough to do, you can also listen to my other, other podcast, The Lobby List, a family travel show I host with my dear wife, Jessica, and that's on iTunes. Subscribe, rate, and comment. But here on The Legal Toolkit, the podcast we're doing right now We provide you twice each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about digital literacy for law firms. So this is going to be fun. But before I introduce today's guest, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors, without whom there would be no podcast for you to listen to. Abby Connect has delivered premium live receptionist and answering services to lawyers since 2006. You can try them out for free at abbyconnect.com. Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI-positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Nexa, formerly known as AnswerOne, is a leading virtual receptionist and answering service provider for law firms. Learn more by giving them a call at 800-267-9371 or online at www.nexa.com. TimeSolve is the number one web-based time and billing software for lawyers, providing solutions since 1999. TimeSolve provides the most comprehensive billing features for law firms big and small. www.timesolve.com. All right, thanks everybody for sticking around. My guest today is Jeff Pfeiffer. And Jeff is the Chief Product Officer for North America at LexisNexis. Sounds like a really big job. He's based out of Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, on the campus of North Carolina State University. Go Wolfpack. Jeff is responsible for product strategy, roadmap, and product lifecycle planning, customer segment development initiatives, and marketing initiatives that yield rapid revenue growth for online and mobile solutions. Jeff, how are you today? Thanks for coming on the podcast. Oh, Jared, it's great to be with you today. Thanks for having me on. You've been waiting for this, right? Is this, is this bucket list for you or what? Bucket list for sure, but for sure. It's great to be with you and your listeners. Yes, excellent. All right. I'm kind of disappointed that you came on Bob Ambrogi's podcast first, but I'll try not to hold that against you. Oh, uh, sorry about that. My fault, my fault. <laughs> so this is interesting. So you are located, your LexisNexis campus at the North Carolina State University. And it sounds like you're doing some really cool stuff with the university. So let me allow you to elaborate on that and shut up for a moment. 
Sure, sure. Well, it, it's uh, it's been an exciting run for us. We moved quite a bit of our product development to this campus about five years ago. We started a, a journey for the organization, and we did that for a few reasons. First, as we looked out and saw the kind of product development challenges that were impending in the legal market, we saw a need to both partner with some world-class researchers like exist at NC State University, and also, frankly, because we needed to get access to great talent. And at the university, we have that in tremendous numbers. The, the computer sciences department here is doing a lot of really cutting-edge work in fields like data analytics and in big data mining. And the computer sciences department is, is growing in stature. So for us, it was really an opportunity uh, because they've created this place on the campus where businesses exist and can do that kind of joint research, collaboration, and development, for us, it seemed like a, a great place to think about growing our product development center. And so now this serves as our global hub for product development at LexisNexis. And we've grown from about 200 folks here five years ago to about 800 now. That's amazing. So you guys are officially a member of the ACC now? Is that how that works? <laughs> I think we'd be an adjunct member, maybe uh, only for, uh, only for back basketball observation. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, so that's great. See, it sounds like you have a lot of talent at your disposal. And I know like this probably affects a number of different products that you provide, right? Because you guys are doing a lot of work in data analytics, at least in the research space, right? That's right. Yeah. And so if you think about the kinds of skills that maybe we needed as an organization five years ago or definitely 10 years ago compared to what we're trying to do now, through mining of big data collections and extracting insights that are in the data but weren't previously knowable, new technology gives us the opportunity to mine those data sets like never before. And I often say that, that lawyers have always had questions they wanted answered, but traditional search methods couldn't yield those answers. And we can do that now using tools like uh, data analytics and some advanced uh, AI-type technologies. So that really translates for us into skill sets that are able to work with all of those technologies. And that's why this location made a lot of sense to us. Yeah, that's fantastic. And so this idea of data and data literacy is important. And this is what we're going to talk about today. As you know, there's like an enormous amount of data that lawyers need to deal with on a daily basis. And that number is like growing significantly every day. And I think a lot of lawyers have difficulty with that, wrapping their arms around it. So one thing you talked about was this idea of data literacy, but then there's also this notion of data competency. So could you talk a little bit about what the difference is between those two? Like what does data literacy mean and how does that compare to what having data competency would mean? Yeah. So, I, you know, when you start the journey to think about how you might interact with data sets differently, I look at those two labels that you used, uh, data literacy and data competency, as uh, levels of expertise. So for any lawyer that's thinking about how he or she might use large data sets differently than they have previously, data literacy is that first threshold. Are you able to understand that important insights can be gleaned by mining data differently, leveraging analytics tools, using new technologies that can help you mine those insights? And for those that reach some level of data literacy, you likely rely on others in your organization. Maybe your law firm has created a center where there's a few people that are really expert at these skills you know to ask the right questions, you know that somebody is there that can help you 
Data competency, on the other hand, would usually involve the lawyer asking those questions directly and putting fingers on the keyboard and querying those data sets, again, him or herself. And we think that latter stage is really important because while you can understand some insights by asking the right questions of a third party, the power of analytics is really the review of the data and being able to see those insights develop as you query different databases and data sets. So for us, again, they're both important stages in one's evolution and learning how to mine data differently, how to answer important legal questions that you've always wanted to know the answer to, but they're marked by a a key distinction. In the first stage, you think about uh, what questions you want to answer and you ask someone to help you do that. In the latter stage, you're really in control of that journey yourself and you are really focused on mining those data sets directly. Yeah, and I think that's really important distinction that you make is that like a lot of lawyers kind of, I think, feel like they're on an island as far as this is concerned, and they feel like they have to do it all on their own. But part of what you're saying is in, in some instances in terms of like the data literacy component here, it's okay to access people for help, potentially people who are not lawyers, right? Yeah, in fact, we would observe after talking literally to hundreds of law firms across the country that most individuals go through that first step. Someone else is helping at the beginning part of that journey. And I think really progressive law firms have built that infrastructure so that they understand it's important to build a few power users. It's important to have someone in the organization that knows what they're doing and can model behaviors for others. So as a firm thinks about how it might mature and become more data literate first and data competent later, it would be often the case that you have to create these mechanisms where people can learn what good looks like, rely on others to get that momentum, and then slowly over time build those competencies and practices themselves to ultimately become fluid and fluent in the use of uh, these kinds of technologies and tools. That's cool. Um, So I think we're going to stop right there for now and take a quick break. So I'm modeling behavior that Legal Talk Network will really enjoy by introducing you to some sponsors. Imagine billing day being the happiest day of the month instead of the day you dread. Nobody went to law school because they love drafting invoices for clients. At TimeSolve, our attorneys save on average over eight hours a month in billing work. That means more billable time and turning billing day into happy day. Learn more about how to get to your time and billing happy place at timesolve.com. That's www.timesolv, leave off the e, dot com. Remember, that's T-I-M-E-S-O-L-V dot com. Your legal work requires your full attention. So how can you build lasting relationships with new or existing clients while juggling your caseload? Try Abby Connect, the friendly, highly trained and motivated live receptionist who are well-known for providing consistent quality customer service and support to law firms just like yours. Every connection matters. So call Abby Connect today at 833-ABBY-WOW to get started with your free 14-day trial and $95 off your first bill. All right, thanks for sticking around, everybody. We appreciate it. I found an old Pez dispenser under the couch, so I'm good for the next 15 minutes or so. We're talking to Jeff Pfeiffer, of LexisNexis on the podcast today. And we're here to talk about data literacy and data competency. 
So let's get back to it. Jeff, I thought that was a really great first segment of the show. Um, and we talked a little bit about the difference between data literacy and data competency. So let's talk now, because I think this is an important topic for attorneys. Like, what are some barriers to attorneys getting competent about data or even getting literate about data in the first instance? Because there's stuff that lawyers need to overcome here, right? Absolutely. You know, I often say, apply this test to yourself. Are you a lawyer who relies on your individual experience, some level of gut instinct, and maybe in the halls of the firm, what you might call anecdotal evidence of what another lawyer says a judge is likely to do. If that's you, then I would say you are probably at the very earliest stage of this evolution and probably need to think about what things are changing because peer law firms and peer lawyers are starting to use much more sophisticated methods to answer questions like, what venue should I select, or how is my judge likely to behave in a certain scenario? So I would say first, you know, firms that are less advanced in this area are probably still relying on what we call anecdata. The idea that someone's personal experience is going to power most of the decision insights that they, they offer to clients. And we think increasingly the leading firms are relying much, much less on anecdata data and more on data that is the result of mining these data sets so that you can actually get insights into what is likely to happen or what behavior suggests is likely to happen. Anecdata. data? I hope you trademarked that. Yes. Uh, no, no, not yet. So <laughs> free for everybody to use. You got you got a little while to work on that before we publish this podcast. No, I think that's an important distinction. I think most like anecdata, I think what lawyers have traditionally referred to is like gut reactions, like just based on their personal impressions of how their firm works. But yeah, I think part of this is personality based. So there are, in my estimation, like a lot of younger lawyers, especially who are more reliant or more willing to be reliant, I should say, on data. So let's transition then. We've talked about some of the barriers that are out there, but let's talk about some of the benefits because I think that's a real driver here. So why is it important for lawyers to become data literate, data competency, and how will that help law firms? Well, think about it through this lens, if you will. I like to say that Data literacy is required because some big things are changing at the, at the macro level. The amount of data that attorneys are required to handle is increasing exponentially. I'll just use our own database at LexisNexis as an example. Just a couple of years ago, it was doubling in size about every 32 months. Now it's doubling in size about every 28 months. And in about uh, uh, two years, we think it'll drop down to about every 22 to 24 months. And that is a massive data set. And it's reflective of the amount of information that's being published that lawyers have access to. So the fact that they have to mine that level of information for insights, it means that traditional tools like search and retrieval and some of those techniques are no longer sufficient. So number one, there's a big macro level driver for why this is necessary. Second, as we talked about earlier, uh, there are real competitive benefits that a firm can get by leveraging tools like this more effectively. They can understand 
how they likely compare to peer firms, how an individual lawyer compares to opposing counsel, how a corporation is likely to behave when managing motion strategy. So again, these are things that are all knowable now. So there's a real competitive advantage, we believe, that can help both win in the courtroom and, and, and more broadly win new business. And finally, the ability to quickly respond to requests that come from clients in, in meaningful ways. So can you, can you sit on the telephone with, with outside counsel and say, uh, what is likely to happen in this scenario so that you can better craft strategy is something that's now definitely possible as a result of the kinds of tools and techniques that are now being applied to big legal data sets. Jeff, you're bringing the heat today. I'm impressed. I appreciate it. <laughs> so if you're out there and you're a lawyer and you're not yet data literate or data competent, now you know why you need to be. So let's talk about the other thing that lawyers tend to focus on, which is worst case scenarios, right? What thing is bad that could result from this thing we're trying to do? So as opposed to benefits, what are some of the risks of not becoming data literate? Like what if you're data illiterate? as a lawyer? What kind of risks are involved there in terms of like practical applications to the practice of law? Well, first, I would say here that outside counsel is ahead of many law firms in this space. So we know from our own experience that uh, tools like we offer, take Lex Machina, for example, that was actually started by a group of major corporations that were really concerned about the level of insights available in patent litigation. So what we see is that in-house counsel is much further advanced in their use of analytics capabilities at this stage than our law firms. So from a competitive perspective, I would say, first and foremost, in-house counsel are using these tools to make choices about law firms and to evaluate firm performance. So it's important that you know what's in the data before outside counsel does. And it's important, I think, that any law firm demonstrate its own literacy and competency by bringing these kinds of data sets or data information to the discussion, because it's really likely that the outside counsel that you're talking to has that information. Right. This is a real thing. And we've talked about this on previous episodes of the podcast as well. Like, I think lawyers previously tended to just try to be efficient because they thought it was a good thing to do. But now, like, the ability to monitor, like, a lawyer's efficiency is, is a game changer, I think, in a lot of ways. Would you agree? I would. And I would also say that in reviewing a number of pitch decks from law firms across the country that have been submitted to outside counsel, you'll see what I, that, that phrase I used earlier, anecdata repeatedly in pitches. Like, the judge is likely to do this. And opposing counsel is increasingly saying, likely because of what data? Likely because of your personal experience or likely because you've done research to understand what does the data tell you? Because it very well might be the case that the outside counsel will select a particular litigation strategy based on what is likely to happen. And so choices about motion strategy, as I referenced earlier, or where to file, those are questions that, you know, you can get a much better idea of what the right choice is by doing that data work ahead of time. Yeah, no, that's a great practical example. Um, we're smoking here on the Legal Toolkit podcast, but we've come to our final break. We're six questions in already. While I sew a new rhinestone jacket for myself, another one, uh, listen to these words from our sponsors. 
you feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and to grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and to generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. If you're missing calls, appointments, and potential clients, it's time to work with Nexa Professional. More than just an answering service, Nexa's virtual receptionists are available 24-7 to schedule appointments, qualify leads, respond to emails, integrate with your firm software, and much, much more. Nexa ensures your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call at 800-267-9371 or visit them at nexa.com forward slash podcast for a very special offer. All right, thanks for coming back one more time. I had a fluffernutter while you were gone. It was delicious. So let's get back to our conversation with Jeff Pfeiffer of LexisNexis. We're talking about data literacy and data competence for lawyers. And let's dive back in. So Jeff, we've talked about a lot of stuff in the beginning of this podcast, the first two segments, but we talked a little bit about like lawyers and attorneys personally, like what can they do to become more data literate slash data competent? How about law firms? Like, what can law firms work on to ensure that their attorneys are more data literate? Like things like internal trainings, internal programs, tech boot camps. Like what have you seen out there that works to bring lawyers up to speed, individual lawyers? That's a great question, Jared, because I think that it points to a more fundamental thing, which is that the law firm has to create that infrastructure in order to ensure that the attorneys both feel comfortable and are given an opportunity to learn. So you referenced a few things that we're seeing by, by leading firms in the organization, um, explicit internal training programs where use of data is, is the focus of the program. Increasingly, we are seeing technology boot camps. You may have seen in the, in the news today that, that Michigan, for example, is the latest state to explore a, a technical competence model in, uh, in renewal of, of license. And I think increasingly we're going to see not just a broad technical competence, but a competence in, in these kind of technical skill areas like use of analytics capabilities. We've already seen analytics capabilities quoted in a number of judicial decisions, so I think that's likely to increase. Uh, we've also seen some of the leading firms uh, leverage this best practice model or this very skilled individual who exhibits behaviors that are transferable to others in the firm's. I'd suggest that your readers might take a look at uh, Law360 did a really interesting profile on a group of lawyers that it awarded the uh, inaugural data-driven lawyer awards to earlier this year. And each of those five winners of that award uh, exhibited many of these things that we're talking about. They had either developed boot camps where there were specific learning opportunities, they created model uh, behaviors through individuals, or they created these centers within the firm where they really encouraged attorneys within the firm to understand both what was possible and then leverage the capabilities that existed out of those centers. So I think that the progressive firms in the country are really exploring how do we create the right infrastructure so that both we acknowledge that this is a learning curve and that we're going to support your development as you become more comfortable with using data to make choices and decisions. Do you know that I won the first annual Double Stuff Oreo Driven Lawyer Award? 
which was given out last year. I'm very that proud of that. That sounds like it was hotly competitive, I, I'm sure. It was. It was. There's a lot of people throwing down on that. Um, <laughs> so I think that's a great introduction to like how law firms can improve data literacy for lawyers. So let's let's drill down to like some specific use cases here, right? So law firms that are implementing data literacy programs currently and the results they've achieved, so other law firms could potentially copy that model if they wish. Definitely. I mean, I think that that's one thing that's interesting. I see many firms in this space sharing best practices. And while that might seem somewhat counterintuitive because you're, you're likely competing with these individuals, I think the people that are leading in this space are really modeling the behavior both in their firms and outside. They're speaking at all the likely places and they're talking about what is really making a difference. I think that the profession more broadly sees that this opportunity is really responsive to some of the uh, improvements that in-house counsel are looking for. They're looking for those improvements to uh, uh, performance, efficiency, and, and driving real productivity gains. And I think those are the kinds of things that we can, that we can see if these tools are applied. All right, Jeff, you've been a good sport to this point. So now this is time for my new favorite segment on the podcast called Tweets You Forgot About, in which I reference a tweet you made and ask you to comment on it. Are you ready? Oh, sounds good. Good, good, good. It was mostly a rhetorical question. I was going to ask you anyway. Here's your tweet, sir. May 8th, you tweeted. And the first star of the game tonight was the NHL referee for handing another Game 7 win to the San Jose Sharks. The Avalanche were robbed. So, Denver, native, Avalanche fan? Oh, a long-term, long-term resident of uh, Denver. You got me on that one. Uh, a moment of uh, fury <laughs> at the hands of the referees in the uh, NHL playoffs. So, yes, I, I, I think that the data is on my side, too, as we look at the replays <laughs> from that game. I'm still traumatized. 2010 NBA Finals, Game 7. Celtics were robbed. Watch the fourth <laughs> quarter, everybody. So as an Avalanche fan, I've got two follow-up questions for you. I'd ask you to choose one, Bork or Rob Blake. Oh, that's really tough. I think I'd have to go, <laughs> boy, I'd have to go with Bork. Uh, he Ooh, was nice. at the like heart of our uh, uh, one-time rivalry with the Detroit Red Wings. So that, that, those were really good days. And lastly, maybe even a tougher question, Sackick or Forsberg? You're killing me today. Uh, I would, uh, let's see, my, my personal uh, sweater, as they say in hockey, is, uh, yeah. is Sackick, but I would actually have to go with Forsberg. He was just lightning and, and great for the team. I'm on board, man. I'm, I'm a Peter Forsberg fan, although I was really into the Avalanche in those days as well. Ray Bork got traded from the Bruins, and I was like, I think I'll like become a fan of the Avalanche for a little bit. So good on you. I was just out in Denver as well. Great city to visit. On that note, completely unrelated to anything else we've talked about, we're going to end the show. <laughs> so we've reached yet another episode, the end of yet another episode of Legal Toolkit Podcast. This was a podcast about data literacy and data competence for lawyers and law firms. And we've been talking with the great Jeff Pfeiffer of LexisNexis. Now, I'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America and the legal market. But if you're feeling nostalgic for my dulcet tones at any point, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. 
Thanks again to Jeff Pfeiffer of LexisNexis for making an appearance as my guest today. So Jeff, now is the time when I ask you, how can folks find out more about you and about the products you work on at LexisNexis? Well, speaking of Twitter, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Pfeiffer. That's J-E-F-F-P-F-E-I-F-E-R. And uh, you can check out our website at LexisNexis.com. And people should follow your burner account at AvsFan99 too, right? Is that one still operational? <laughs> that, one, that one has much lower traffic. <laughs> so thanks again to Jeff Pfeiffer of LexisNexis, who's been a great sport today, and we've enjoyed talking with him. And finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. This has been the Legal Toolkit Podcast, where we haven't won a Stanley Cup in at least 40 years. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.